Love the cases. Love the clauses. Love the adverbs and the antecedents. Love the words. From ELFM. Homing by Jackie Daly. Here we are. Living room, open plan to the kitchen. Little balcony off. Double bedroom, one single. Bathroom through there. No cats were killed in the making of this flat. No pets allowed. I meant, I meant swing a cat. It's small, it's small. But perfectly formed. Newly renovated. All mod cons. Can't even sure I fit bunk beds in there. Seven by ten, standard single. Can I ask, have we met before? Don't think so. You're a new client. You just seem really familiar. Oh, hey, 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 this is the gents. Well, there's a queue for the ladies. Careful. You nearly made me chop him off. Funny how everyone on Tinder's dying to send me the dick pics. As soon as I crash the gents in a nightclub, it's a race to see how fast they can zip them away. People really do that. Mouses straight back in the houses. No, the dick pics. Blokes send you them. Are you for real? I'd never dream of doing that. You, my darling, are a rare breed. I hope your lady appreciates you. Don't forget to wash your hands. I don't have a lady. Dick pics. You what? That's where I know you from. Oh, you sent me dick pics. No, God. No, 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 no. We talked about them. In the, in the loo at Volcano about a month ago. Oh, no, I'd never. Oh, uh, my niece's hen night. Yeah, oh, I was at a leaving night. Tony from accounts. We must have been the oldest in there by a good 20 years. Yeah. I woke up next morning and decided my clubbing days were officially over. I often have that effect on men. No, not because of you. I know. The volcano used to feel like home back in the day. When it was all glow sticks and ravers. Yeah, dancing non-stop for hours. Dripping with sweat. Me and my best mate went 51 Saturday nights in a row during 1994. That place, that time, the music, it was oh. magic, wasn't it? Oh, I love that song! How 
many do we have? Children. Um, let's have a football team. Five is high. A deal. <laughs> the best. Rainbows and music and children and football socks. Oh, all those children. The laundry. Hey, I do the laundry in our house. You, my darling, are a rare breed. I hope your girlfriend appreciates you. I don't have a girlfriend. What do you do now? I do. You do? This is the best new year I have ever had. I need to go and say happy new year to my friend. Don't move. I'll be right back. I'll be here. Don't go away. One more best ever kiss. Rainbows and music and home. Questions about the flat? Um, do you have any like this but bigger? Not on your budget. <laughs> oh, wow, look! Look! A double rainbow! Oh. Wow! Huh? <laughs> Two pots of gold. Hmm. Help me pay for the bigger flat. Rainbows and music, music and, and home. home. <laughs> <laughs> was it? It was, wasn't it? It was you. What was me? New Year's 1996. The best kiss ever. Uh, <laughs> you didn't come back. I waited and waited on the dance floor. Uh, you said you'd be right back. I thought that was a dream. <laughs> why, did, why didn't you come back? My, my friend. She collapsed. A bad pill. I rushed her to hospital. Yeah. But, but for weeks, for months, I looked for you. I, I didn't even know your name. My friend died that night. I couldn't, I, I never went back. Until last month. Oh no, I, I'm so sorry. Rainbows and music and children and football socks. <laughs> <laughs> Robert Miles, children. I, I still love that song. I've got two with my ex. We split up, that's why this flat's bunk bed. I've got three. Two boys and a girl. We made a five-a-side team then. If I remember correctly, you were in charge of laundry. <laughs> uh, has this flat got a decent washing machine? <laughs> <laughs> the best ever. Homing, Claire Websall played Katie, Dominic Gately played Sam, and the DJ was played by Johnny Byron. Homing was written by Jackie Daly 
and directed by Stefan Eskreed. It is a Radio Acting Days production for Script Yorkshire. huddle together for warmth and to spread subsidence rumours about the new-built properties on the corner. Up on the ridge tiles, a crow feasts on the entrails of a now-defeated love rival. <laughs> Meanwhile, down below, residents too afraid to leave the discomfort of their own sitting rooms troll the better-looking and more successful. Occasionally they'll glance up from the cold, fluorescent glow of their screens and scan the communal backyard. A wasteland. So desperate. Even the feral cats refuse to shit there. Better watch your step. For in these back alleys, a hoodie is more likely to be stabbed than hugged. saying that your monthly donation will make a real difference to children like Jenny. She's got leukaemia. This is her with her dad. Oh, poor little soul. What type she got? Type? Of leukaemia? Uh, uh, the serious type, unfortunately. Acute myeloid? Uh, yes. Uh, that's what took my barrel. I'm sorry. Well... All that's left now is to set up the payment. After Beryl passed, my daughter insisted I moved up here to be nearer the family. I don't know why you're bothered. I never see you. The easiest thing would be if I can have a quick look at your bank card. That has all the info on. Oh, I've got that here. Is it the, um, is it the long number you want? Yeah, you take it. Your eyes are better than mine. That's six, three, five, five. Then it's just the expiry date and the three-digit number off the back. Oh, I thought that was a security code. No, you're thinking of your pin. Never share that with anyone. Oh, no, I'm always very careful. Glad to hear it. Oh, is that a photo of you and Beryl? You look very happy. Oh, we were. There's not a day goes by when I don't stop and have a little moment, you know. Tell her what I've been up to. What's coming into flower in the garden? She loved her garden. You can see it through a window. A very polite young man. Well-spoken and uh, respectful. This is how Joe will describe Dan to the police officer who calls long after the old man's bank account has been emptied. Hiya. I'm sending the latest details over to you now. Use the name Joseph Rag. 
Dan regards himself as a 21st century Robin Hood. He prefers it to petty criminal or fraudster. Anyway, he needs to crack on. The loan sharks are circling. I'm sure you're busy, but in the next five minutes you could help save a child's life. Your neighbours have all been doing their bit to help terminally ill children. I wondered if I could talk to you. Oh dear! No, it's okay. I love dogs. And it wasn't a very important piece of paper. It's dog eat dog out there. We all need to keep our wits about us these days. Even you, damn James. Hey love. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna do one more. Yeah, I promised Abby had read of the Jolly Postman tonight. <laughs> I'll be home in an hour. Good evening. I'm calling on behalf of... What excellent timing. Could you open this jar for me? Of course. Oh, thank you. George, the pickled onions are open. A night errand with a firm grip was passing by. <laughs> Come through. Finish your tea while it's still warm. <sighs> Sorry. <laughs> Long day. Your monthly donation will make a real difference to children like Jenny. She's got acute myeloid leukaemia. Oh, where's, where's my checkbook? It's easier if I take the information off your bank card. No problem. It's in the hall. Oh, I'll get it, oh. Edith. Ooh. Sorry. Just give me a moment. Are you all right, dear? You're perspiring and... Please don't drool on the rug. <laughs> it's a genuine Moroccan Berber. <sighs> Everything's swimming. I feel really unusual. Do you, dear? Well, don't worry. That'll be the sedative. Don't fight it. <sighs> Gotta get home to be Tabby. Aren't you charity worker for supper, George? Uh, Abby's my little girl. I'm sorry for little Abby, dear. But a state pension doesn't go very far these days. Did your mother never warn you about going into strangers' houses? Slicing and dicing, Dan is placed in a chest freezer next to some offcuts from a Jehovah's Witness. You could call it his final charitable act. And so, another wretched day crawls to an end. In this half-feral country, we're all predator and prey. Each of us hoping that when our end comes, It'll be quick and 
pain free. Mm. Rest in peace, land of hope and glory. in Tooth and Claw, Dan was played by Johnny Byram, Joe by Dominic Gately and Edith by Claire Websell. The narrator was Alice Proctor. Red in Tooth and Claw was written by Sarah Karat and directed by Stefan Eskreet. It is a Radio Acting Days production for Script Yorkshire. Love the control. Love the command. Love the space bar and the hard return. Love the words from East Leeds FM. We're joined in the studio with Tom today. Hello. Hiya. How are you today? I'm I'm really well, thank you. Had a day off today, so I'm nice and relaxed. <laughs> That's good. So what inspired you to start um, poetry? Oh god. Um <laughs> straight to the point. Um I just always really liked rhymes, like from when I was really little, from like the first time I could read, if there was something that had like rhyme and rhythm to it, it absolutely fascinated me, which may have been an early indication of autism, if I'm absolutely honest, but that sort of idea of pattern and rhythm was really interesting to me. So I've just always done it. Um, no Norton Live update. I do not want to restart my computer right now. Go away. <laughs> sorry about that. Um, <laughs> sorry, that's, that's a little... <laughs> insight into my life for the listeners at home um so yeah I just always liked writing um it, what I didn't know when I was younger when I was at school um teenage sort of it was that people did poetry for fun and did it as a performance thing there wasn't the poetry scene that there is now uh, the nearest there was was there was a folk club in Keithley where I'm from where they would have once a month they would have bring a poem by somebody else and read it out and share it with group sessions and I used to go to those because that, that was that was the nearest to a spoken word night that I could conceive of and once I actually I didn't read my own poem because that wasn't done but I'd written a poem for my friend and she read my poem out and that was my first performance and it was years after that that I after I'd moved to Sheffield and I found out that there were sometimes people who might read poems out loud in a pub and, and I was like I identify as non-binary now um but at the time I was identifying as and identified as a woman by other people or rather by as a girl 
who uh -huh. shouldn't really be coming and asking to read poetry. So um, I was quite often assumed to be someone's girlfriend who'd come to listen to them. I'd be like, no, I'd like, I'd like to read a poem too, please. That'd be okay. And yeah, I've just done it ever since, really. That was quite a long answer. Yeah, we like that long answer, so good. Um, so I find that poetry can also be like a coping mechanism for certain people as well, or just writing in general. Do you find that? Um, I think so, yeah. Um, perhaps not as much as some people. Um, I think sometimes it's more, my brain knows that there's something I need to work through and think about, um, but isn't quite ready to face it head on. So I'll start writing a poem about a dragon. And I'll go back and read it later and go, oh, yeah, that, that, that's about what's going on at work, isn't it? Yeah. So I think, yeah, it can be a pathway into thinking about things more deeply for me. Tom, I, I feel like, correct if I'm wrong, but I remember a few years ago you said something like your poetry knew more about you than you did. And you went back and looked over some old poems and suddenly stuff made sense that you at the time yeah. didn't realize I wonder, could you talk a little bit about that and and yeah so coming out? I was diagnosed as being autistic um when I was in my sort of mid to late 30s um prior to that I had just been that awkward one <laughs> um I'd, I'd just been seen as socially awkward a bit shy a bit clumsy um but there'd not been that that context put around it but when I went back and looked at my poetry the stuff I'd written two three four years before that that I think quite accurately accurately described the autistic experience and it was my brain going this is a thing this is how this is not how everybody feels I was writing it thinking well secretly everybody has trouble reading other people's reactions secretly um everyone's um got that social awkwardness. They're just so much better at hiding it than me. But I'm gonna write about what my experience of the world is. Um, but yeah, looking back at it, they're very much poems about autism. <laughs> I just didn't know that at the time. Like, speaking of like being diagnosed, like what is it like being diagnosed at a later age in life? Oh, I don't know what it's like to be diagnosed at an early age in life. So I don't have much of a basis of comparison, but it was a relief. I think was the would be the main feeling because yeah I thought I was just doing life less well than everybody else because it wasn't making sense to me how people interacted um, and for a long time I resisted the idea that I might be autistic. A few people, most of the other autistic people had said, "You on the spectrum? Do you think you think you might have you ever been tested?" And I said really really rude and ignorant things looking back like oh no I'm, I'm really empathetic and creative so I can't possibly be autistic because that's not what autistic people are like and after a while I got a bit more educated and understood a bit more about how autism can present differently in different people and was like oh yeah that that might be me and it took a while to get the diagnosis the waiting lists and so on but when I when I went into the um the assessment session and I think the, the woman who was assessing me asked me how I would feel if I left the room without an autism diagnosis. And I said, well, I'd like to look into what it is then, because it's, if it's not that, it's something else. 
And she said, well, to be quite honest with you, we haven't done the assessment yet, but you won't be leaving this room without an autism diagnosis after talking, talking with you for five minutes. I was like, okay, it's, it's that obvious. Okay. And when I started telling people, oh yeah, I think I might be autistic, I'm going for this assessment, a good 80% of people thought I'd already been diagnosed and just didn't talk about it very much. And the other 20% were like, oh no, you're not autistic. How could you possibly be autistic? Oh no, 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 no. Um, which, yeah, it was strange that they cared so much whether I was autistic or not, but it's fine if I am. Mm. But yeah, yeah it, was, it was really nice to know that there was a context and there was a community and other people had similar experiences that I could talk to. And as, as it's turned out, quite a lot of my friends have also been diagnosed late because assigned female at birth people weren't being diagnosed at school or at school age in the 80s and 90s. Like it wasn't seen as a thing that girls had. So there's a whole bunch of us in our sort of 30s and 40s going, oh, that's what it is. And yeah, that's quite a nice community to be part of. Yeah, because I have quite a lot of friends with autism as well. And I feel like over time I've learned quite a lot about it. So I feel like I understand more about it now. Yeah, absolutely. It's more understood now. And it, I think there's still a lot of those old assumptions about it floating around that I crash into every so often especially because I work for the NHS and you do get a lot of people who see it through that kind of medical lens quite a lot and you have to kind of go no that's 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 not what it's like um but yeah definitely from a gender perspective it wasn't seen as something that if you were assigned female you could have so that's that's something that's changed and people kind of get that a lot better now Tom, did, did getting a diagnosis and then subsequently you know, learning more about your, you know, your autism, because as we know, you've met one autistic person, you've met one autistic person, it <laughs> manifests in completely different ways. But, you know, speaking, you know, for yourself, once that diagnosis, that understanding, when going into creative spaces like, you know, poetry events, which can be a mixture of rules and structures that you need to navigate versus also being quite loud, lively, slam noisy spaces, how did you learn how much you could then adapt and how much did you then have the confidence to say to other poets and organisers, can you make these adaptions for me? And was there a balance or, yeah? It kind of went the other way around in a way because I, I was, like, obviously I like poetry, but I was attracted to the idea of the spoken word scene because of that structure. And there's a lot of time that it's relatively quiet. There's just one person speaking that you can concentrate mm. on. I really struggle in a space where there's multiple conversations going on at the same time. I really struggle to focus on one. So poetry nights are, are brilliant for me because you get that, that break mm. compared to just going out to the pub or going out to a nightclub. It was my adaption to go to poetry nights in the first place. And when I understood that I was autistic, I'd already made the adaption that I needed, which was go to poetry nights. It's much, much easier to deal with. Yeah. Um, I get, yeah, it can get loud, but I think also being part of the organization of the night can really help. Then I know exactly what the plan is and what's going to happen. I have suggested um, when setting up nights in the past that we have a a breakout space of some kind, somewhere people can go that's a bit quieter if they need to. Um, as with a lot of accessibility things, when you're trying to do a poetry night on a very low budget in a room, in a, a city full of hills, <laughs> um, it's very difficult to get all of the 
accessibility needs sorted out. Um, but when it's been possible to have have it on the ground floor and have as few steps as possible, and along with that, have a, have a quiet space if we can have it. Um, and things like not having flashing lights, because people like to jazz up the stage a little bit and put flashing fairy lights in. Um, oh, yes. I've had some really difficult <laughs> po poetry experiences where the poem poems were great, but I didn't hear a word of them because there was a light flashing on and off the entire time. <laughs> I tried to mm -hmm. kind of guide people away from that. But overall, yeah, the reasonable adjustment that I need is to be allowed to go to poetry nights. Yeah, and just going back for a minute, I was going to say this before, but when you say that, like, 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 sometimes autism isn't really spoken about and, like, a lot, I feel like it's quite like that with a lot of disability as well. Like, there's still the old, like, narratives going around that, like, of, like, because the main one is that, like, like, most people with disabilities are, like, inspirations. Do you ever, like, find that at times as well? Um, I think I... I do get a little bit, I, I, a really funny thing that happened was I um, I did the um, Hammer and Tongue Slam final a few years ago and I did a poem in that um, about, that's overtly about autism and it's like, yeah, it's, bit of it, bits of it are funny, bits of it are serious um, and this woman came up to me in tears going, oh, like your poem was so moving, it was so amazing and so on. And I was like, well, okay, um, I'm, I'm having trouble with social interaction, but fine, keep going. And she, went, yeah, I, I'm here. I'm, I, I'm, I'm here with with my my dad and my brother. And my brother has autism, and uh, he just thought it was funny. He was laughing all the way through. And I was like, yes, that's correct. <laughs> that's the correct. Like, yeah, it was for him. Mm. I'm glad you found it inspirational or whatever, but I was writing it for the other autistic people in the audience so that they could be like, oh, yeah, that's true. Um, but the side effect of that poem tends to be that families and parents and people who know one autistic person will be like, oh, it's, you're so brave. Do you, do you find, right, do you okay. Feel, do you get the, the is it a, a larger ratio then of people having that, oh, you're so brave, rather than people coming and going, You've nailed that, or like, I get that, like, that's me. I I like to think that it's in its own little way an autism diagnostic tool, because I can tell who. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The people who come up and are like, yep. I'm like, have you ever thought about getting assessed? Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's different every time. I can do the same poem to, to two different crowds and get... In, I'm sure as with everybody get entirely different reactions but that one is quite yeah it makes all the autistic parents or parents of autistic mm. people cry and makes all the autistic people go yeah uh, seems seems fair yes because um, one thing that we like to definitely include on the show is a bit of comedy because we have um, this one segment things not to ask a disabled person and that's where most of the comedy yeah. comes in is there anything? Yeah, I think there is an expectation that, that disabled people generally and autistic people specifically don't have a sense of humour because they can't understand such a complicated thing as a joke and must always be very serious and inspirational. And I think I, I'm not, I feel like I should be more bothered that people think like that. I think I'm, I'm more like, oh, you poor silly idiot, never mind. Like, <laughs> like oh, you think that? Bless you. 
but I'm just going to go away and have a good laugh with my friends. But yeah, you can go on thinking about me as an inspiration if you like. Like you're wrong, but it's not hurting me. What's the, uh, how do you use humour, Tom, in your poetry? I know you said before you like the, the patterns and the rhymes. With, um, is that sort of your, I mean, I sort of know the answer because I've heard a lot of your poetry over the years. But like, <laughs> is that what you in, enjoy? I'm glad you know the answer because I don't think I do. <laughs> like I'll write a poem. I've written poems before convinced that they were a serious and moving piece and had everyone in stitches when I wrote read them out and vice versa. <laughs> yeah. read, oh, this is a fun anecdote about my childhood. Oh God, everyone's crying. That's probably <laughs> not a bad sign. Yeah. I'm not very good at knowing what genre my poem is. Mm. I don't know if that's an aspect of autism or something else. I just write the thing and then mm. read it out and go, that's why I like live poetry because I can find out what poems like mm. by going, oh yeah, that's generally getting that's generally reading is comedy. That's interesting. I'll, I'll, I'll think of that as a comedy poem. Oh, that's 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 getting quite a serious response. I'll I'll, I'll go with that. But yeah, um, the thing that I'm working, I'm trying to work on um, putting together a book that may or may not be for like or suitable for children or like so it's a, based on the folklore and monster poems that I've been doing. But when I try to, and I go, right, I'm going to write a poem that's aimed at children, it ends up the most dark, gruesome thing that you could possibly imagine. I'm like, oh dear. <laughs> possibly the product of too much rolled dal as a child. But but yeah, I'm, I'm very bad at knowing. I definitely use rhyme and meter a lot. I, def I, I like my poems to have some rhythm to them. Um, but yeah, I'm not... I suppose I should be probably specifically going, I'm going to employ this device in order to have this effect. Mm -hmm. And on some level, maybe I am, but as far as I'm concerned, I'm like, oh, pretty, pretty rhythm. Let's put that in. <laughs> like, um, I kind of had a similar experience with what you were saying earlier, because yesterday I'd said something to a couple of my friends. Like, I don't really find it as funny at times, but because I'm visually impaired and it was related to that. And one of my other visually impaired friends found it kind of funny what I'd said. And then I was like, okay, this is actually kind of funny in a way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's the most the most natural sort of best form of humour is, oh, I've said that and it's turned out to be funny. It can be, yeah. end up being a bit, I think the idea of doing stand-up on purpose is horrific to me because I think if someone said, right, be funny, I'd probably depress everyone in the room to death. But if someone says, right, okay, do a poem, that's a much more of a, clean, a blank slate that you can do a thing and it'll be what it is. I'd say the, 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 the gags in my poems aren't necessarily the, um, the, the written word, but they're finding how the audience reacts to throwing them out at them and and the little nods and asides and footnotes and then the intonation of the rhymes because you're getting that sort of feedback from the audience mm -hmm. and I find it easier sometimes to read large rooms of audiences of like you know I can read a hundred people from a stage easier than sometimes I can read a couple of people yeah. chatting to them um, because it's a it's a structure and a format of I am giving you some poetry with some gags and you are receiving them and laughing back and and that feels nice. Yeah, which has been an interesting thing in the the era of Zoom gigs, yeah. trying to work out what the audience is doing is really challenging. In that, I've kind of gone well. 
they're, they're, they're between 50 to 5,000 miles away away from me. So if they don't like it, what are they going to do? <laughs> yeah. And you don't get them afterwards going, oh, that was so inspirational. Like, <laughs> yeah, the odd message in the chat, but... Yeah. Um, it had, had the opposite effect of somebody... Um, I did a what was supposed to be, and I thought was quite a sort of moving poem about childhood bullying. Mm. And for whatever reason, it really tickled this one guy in the audience because I usually, at the time I was usually doing comic poems. So I think he was primed for that. Mm. And I was, I was I'm gonna be really brave and try and actually bear my soul a little bit and share this really vulnerable piece. Um, but the audience all thought that was a setup for the joke. <laughs> and gradually, as I went through it, the audience kind of twigged on that it was a serious poem and, and stopped trying to find the joke. Except this one guy was proper slapping his thigh and cackling. Oh my God. Like, okay, I guess I guess that trauma was funny. <laughs> Moving on to the next poem. Do worry, do you have any more questions before our usual final question we always ask guests? Which I forgot so, to mention. Yeah. Oh, apologies. <laughs> so it's kind of a two-parter. Like, do you have any advice for people who are getting diagnosed at later on in life, or like any advice for people that are like starting poetry recently? Ooh. So if you, if if, if autistic people keep saying, asking you if you're autistic, um, that's that's a diagnosis in in of itself. Um, if you it takes a long time to get diagnosed unless you're particularly rich and can afford to go private. So if you can, if you suspect that you might be autistic and if reasonable adjustments and things that you can do that autistic people find make life more easily work for you, you don't need to wait until you've got the official piece of paper to say, I'm autistic. You can just say, I need this. This is something that works for me. I need to use noise cancelling headphones. Um, so I'm going to use them. I need to have quiet time sometimes, so I'm going to use it. I need to wear certain kinds of clothes because it, sensory issues are bothering me. You are allowed to do that before you get an official piece of paper from the doctor. And also it's okay to be have a strong emotional reaction when you if and when you do get a diagnosis because you've been told that you were getting it wrong possibly for your entire life up to this moment and you weren't getting it wrong you were just trying to fit into a neurotypical world and that sort of grief for the time that you could have known that earlier is valid and it's okay to work through that but actually it's awesome being autistic so welcome to the family um as far as starting out writing poetry just do it um you can write poetry and not show anybody in the world and have it as a personal private thing for you you can share it with your friends you can submit it to journals don't bother don't, don't be too worried if they don't like it straight away you have to send it out a lot of times um if you enjoy going out to poetry nights um covid permitting or on zoom do that you can go to, you don't have to become the star of the show the first time you go you're allowed to just go and check it out like yeah it's one of the most accessible art forms there is because if you can put words together, you don't have to be able to write. If you can put words together, you can make poems. So whether so, you can use you can record them on a like on your voice recorder on your phone. You can write them down. You can type them out. You can 
tell your mates it's yeah it's an incredibly accessible art form so just if you like the idea of it do it and don't worry if it's rubbish sometimes because everyone writes rubbish poems sometimes mm -hmm. I agree. Um, tom before juari asks our final mini question which i'm sorry i forgot to tell you that there's always a mini question it's, always, it's not a scary question um that i i wondered um i'd not to put you on the spot so if if you've got time to send this to us but i think it'd be lovely to actually hear a poem on the show um if you're not in the right frame of mind now to read one, I can probably. Yeah. Uh, do you want the Do you want the, the, the classic autism poem? I, I think we've got to have the classic autism poem. Yeah. So, yes. uh, which. So which is called. No, go on. I was going to say, and then Juari, if if that's okay, well then you can ask your final question. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so this is called Autisticus. It's one of my favourite poems to do out loud. So I'm here representing the autists and Aspies and neuroatypicals, people who find interaction so difficult, try to blend in, but we can't with the crowd. We're either too quiet or suddenly loud at the wrong time, but sometimes we want to fit in. What we wouldn't give to feel kinship with actual kin, but the din of the crowd that we try to fade into is too much. It's too loud, it's too overwhelming, and all the well-meaning advice isn't helping, we suddenly snap. Oh. And now it's gone silent. Your noise is just background, but our noise is violent. When we get on your nerves, it's because we're a letdown. When you get on ours, we're just having a meltdown. We need to learn strategies, learn how to cope with the way that you are when you won't even meet us halfway. How about, nope. Because I'm not a piece of a jigsaw for you to just solve. And if you saw what we saw, you wouldn't be trying to take it away with a fix or a cure or a vaccine to blame because we can find beauty in numbers and trains and the infinite pattern of pattering rain and the way that the light hits the links in the chain and historical pl plans of how Romans made drains. But you say we don't see the world as it's meant to be. Everything's wrong and you say we've no empathy? Mate. We've so much that it's causing us pain as we feel all the tension around us flood into our brains and there's nothing to do but lock in on the numbers and patterns and theories and trains till it all ebbs away. And there's something like peace, but it can't stay that way, at least not when you're there to make us aware we're unnatural, unwanted, unhealthy, unfair. You need to police our responses, but don't seem to care about what's underneath. The blank stare. This world is so sharp that it cuts us, but we came prepared. There's places we know we can go and we're scared and we know that it hurts you to know you can't follow us first. And I know that you think when I gaze into space that for you it's a source of disgrace. But you can't see emotions you think I should feel on my face. And I know when I look at you blankly it causes alarm because this isn't my soul that you see on my face. It's my armour. Cool. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. Love the nouns. Love the pronouns. Impersonal and personal. Love the words. From ELFM. Ooh.